Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible, as well as your prayer requests. We're here to answer those questions and to pray with you here on the air. Wherever you're tuning in from, we're so glad that you're joining us today. Let me give you the numbers to call once again. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. You can call in with your questions about the Bible. Maybe there's something you've been reading lately that's caused you some confusion, something you've always wondered about. Give us a call. We'd love to chat with you about it. love to talk with you about it. Maybe there's something relevant that's going on in your life or in your, your church that you want to discuss from a biblical perspective. That's what we're here to do. So the number is 303-690-3000. You can also text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and Southern Wyoming on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. So glad that you are with us. We also want to greet those who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina, and Kentucky. Just a reminder, for those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, you're hearing this show on a one-week delay, so we just want you to keep that in mind, but we also want you to be part of our community here uh, and a real part. So what that means, we, we want you to call in. We want you to come and ask your questions uh, by calling in and by texting in. Ask your questions. Uh, have us pray for your prayer requests. And then you guys have kind of a unique situation where you get to tune in a week later. You get to hear yourself on the radio. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to turn somebody else onto the station, get them listening to Christian radio, and maybe God will do an amazing work in their life as they, they hear the Word of God. Um, on that Christian radio station. So those of you listening, though, here in Colorado and, Grace on, and Wyoming on Grace FM, you are hearing the program live, as well as those who are tuning in online. We don't want to forget about our online listeners. We have uh, quite a few of them. So, hey, those of you listening online on the mobile app, those of you listening on the website and your browser, we're so glad that you are with us. Greetings to all of you. And the cool thing about those who tune in online is that we can actually see where you're tuning in from. So I can see there are people listening right now in Las Vegas. We've got people in Phoenix, Los Angeles, San Francisco. We've got people up in Oregon, Washington area. We've got people in Minnesota, people tuning in in Colorado. Um, we've got callers or we've got listeners in Texas and Florida along the eastern seaboard there. Looks like we've also got a listener in Anchorage, Alaska. We've got some international listeners in Europe and in South Africa. So welcome to the program, guys. We're so glad that you're with us. And no matter where you are, we'd love to hear from you. So definitely uh, send us a text or give us a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Here at the beginning of the show is always the best time to call in because here at the beginning of the show, we tend to have open lines as we wait for those to fill up, as we wait for you guys to call in. 
And so now would be a great time to call in with your questions about the Bible, things going on in your life that you want kind of some biblical perspective on, as well as your prayer requests. And then the number to text us is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897 for the text line. Okay, we want to um, just rem Okay, sorry, lost my place there in my notes. Um, let me just tell you a few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, I'm actually broadcasting here from our church in Longmont. So greetings to all of you who are in this Longmont, Boulder, uh, you know, Loveland, Bertha area. Glad to have you guys tuning in. We'd love to hear from you. Give me a call. And our church recently moved. So I would like to just take this opportunity right now to invite you to come out to our church and uh, and like kind of enjoy this new space we're in. Also celebrate with us this new season of ministry that we've entered into here at Whitefields. For many years now, you know, we've been saving and praying, hoping to get our own space. And the Lord opened the door for that just recently in March, which as you know, that's also when the pandemic hit. But that's actually been really good for us. A lot of churches right now uh, have been displaced. Churches that were renting spaces, especially if those were public spaces like schools or rec centers, etc., uh, we had a great setup that that worked for us for many years uh, in downtown Longmont. But we, we knew that God was moving us on, and the timing of it happened really well because we were able to move into this building. And then here in this building, we have so much space in here that we're actually able to rent out space to another church that was displaced. And so we're able to help them out as well as, as a few other Christian organizations. So it's one of those ideas, you know, that God blesses us, not just for our own sake, but um, that we, not just for our own sake, but so that we can be a, a blessing to others as well. And so uh, we've had the opportunity to do that here in this space, and it's just been really good. And so if you would uh, be interested in visiting and worshiping in person with us or, or even worshiping online with us, um, let me give you the info for how to do that. Uh, you can check out our website, whitefieldschurch.com, whitefieldschurch.com. You can also watch our services live there on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and so if you want to tune in live, that's available there on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. You can also worship with us online on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page. Those are facebook.com slash whitefieldschurch, youtube.com slash whitefieldschurch. And you, we are also open, though, for in-person services. And so we... Um, we have enough space in this building where we're able to do that socially distanced and everything. It's been really good. And so we'd love to have you come join us for worship and celebrate this new season that we're in at Whitefields. Here's our address, 2950 Colorful Avenue. So it's 2950 Colorful Avenue in the city of Longmont, Colorado. But we are actually a little bit outside of the center of the city. We are right in between I-25 and County Line Road here on the eastern end of Longmont. Actually, the city limits are um, the road right next to us. And so we're really on the eastern edge of Longmont, but really accessible because we're right on Highway 119, which is also called Ken Pratt Boulevard here in Longmont. We're right directly north of Sandstone Ranch Community Park, that area with all the uh, soccer fields um, where they have a you know, baseball fields, soccer fields. They have a skate park there. Uh, great park here just on the St. Vrain River. And we're just on the north side of the highway from that. So we're 
right on the highway. So if you're coming from Frederick, Firestone, Decono, if you're coming from Berthoud, if you're coming from, let's say, Erie, just right up County Line Road, um, if you're coming even, uh, we have people who come from all over the area, from Lyons and from Boulder, and we'd love to have you come and worship with us wherever you're driving in from. So ch check us out for directions and all that good stuff on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. And our address, once again, 2950 Colorful Avenue. And this Sunday is a special one for us. Of course, we're continuing our regular services and we're continuing studying through the Bible. But in between our two services, so our services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. In between our services at 1015, we're going to be doing an outdoor baptism. So this, this location we're in has a lot of space around it. So we're able to just walk out our doors and have a big open space. And we're going to be doing an outdoor baptism. We have some people who are getting baptized. And we'd love it if you would come and celebrate that with us in between services this Sunday at 1015. You can be there and witness and clap and uh, be excited for these guys and encourage them as they take this important step in their walk with Jesus. So you can find more information at whitefieldschurch.com. You can also hear me on Grace FM every weekday. I'm on at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, our show is called Life in the Field, and what that is a reference to is the fact that we live our lives on God's mission field. So it's God's word for our lives as we live out his mission on his mission field. So it would be awesome if you'd tune in for that, 2.30 p.m. every weekday here on Grace FM. And uh, let's go to our callers. So we've got Maddie in New Jersey. Hi, Maddie. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes. I hear you great. Wonderful. In reading through Genesis, specifically um, the life of Abraham, he calls out to God frequently. Mm -hmm. Calls out. That's where my question lies. So I'm wondering if calling out is the same as praying or worshiping, or is it something totally different? Yeah, so I would say it is the same as, as prayer, essentially, right? Prayer is communication with God. Prayer it has many different forms, right? So we can worship God in prayer. We can uh, ask for things in prayer. We can just even converse with God in prayer. And we can cry out to God in prayer. And that crying out, you know, I'm not sure what exactly that means uh, in the case of Abraham in every specific case. But it's interesting because it says that in Genesis, if you look there, it talks about the, the people in the time of Seth. It says at that time, the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the insinuation there is that the, that the generation of Seth, these were people who really began pursuing the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Yeah, so this is um, in Genesis chapter 4. I'll start in verse 25. It says, Adam knew his wife. She bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now we know prior to that, right, that God talked to people. But this seems to be a sense in which these people were seeking God, worshiping God, um, and pursuing God. You know, these are all terms that we use to describe what it means to have a relationship with God. We use terms like calling on the Lord. Um, we use terms like with walking with God, right, that describe a pattern of life. So these are all important forms. But to answer your question simply, yes, it's prayer. I believe it is worship. I believe it's uh, active pursuit of God. 
Wonderful. Great. That's what I was thinking, but thank you for the clarity. I appreciate it, Pat. You bet. You bet. Thanks for tuning in. God bless you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Uh, let's go over to our um, call-in or sorry, our text line. We have one person texting in right now asking what I think of uh, post-millennialism. And so to answer that question, though, I want to uh, kind of give you a rundown of what post-millennialism is, just so that we make those terms clear for our, um, our listeners who might not be familiar with the term. And I'll, I'll start out by just um, explaining what the whole millennial thing is. Okay, so it says in Revelation chapter 20, it says that there's going to be uh, a few things that happen. One of the first things that happens is during this time called the, kind of towards the end of this time called the Great Tribulation, it says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Right, so that starts in Revelation chapter 20 there. It says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Now that's interesting because it doesn't say that Satan will be in hell, only that he will be bound. Now currently also, we know Satan doesn't live in hell, but like in Job chapter 1, it says that Satan roams the earth. It also doesn't tell us how or where Satan will be bound, so we don't know the details on that. Um, but here's another thing that happens, is that uh, in the next verse, Revelation 20 verse 4, going to verse 6, says that Christians, but not non-Christians, will be raised from the dead to reign with Christ during this thousand-year period. So God is going to, at the end of the what's called the Great Tribulation, a time of great trouble here on the earth, um, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and during that time, Christians, but not non-Christians, will be raised from the dead to reign with Christ for that thousand-year period. Um, and, and so, for example, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul encourages believers, he says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So probably that's what this is referring to. Okay, here's the next thing we know about this thousand-year period. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his uh, captivity or his binding, and he will come out to deceive the nations and lead a war against the saints in Jerusalem. So that's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. And finally, the way this whole thing ends, and again, this is all described within 10 verses there in Re Revelation chapter 20. The way this all ends is that Satan is defeated by God and thrown into the lake of fire. So Satan is finished forever. That, that is the end of Satan there as he is thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so... Um, answering this question, what, what does that mean? What, what, what is this millennial period made up? Well, there, there are three views on the millennium. Of course, millennium meaning thousand-year period described there in Revelation chapter 20. The first one is called premillennialism. Now, premillennialism believes this, that Christ will return pre or before the millennium. Uh, premillennialists understand the, millennial to, the millennium to be a 
future time, right, of great peace and justice, a literal thousand-year period, which will begin when Christ returns to reign on earth as a physically present king. This is in the future, of course. Okay, the next view on this is called postmillennialism. Now, postmillennialism believes that Christ will return post the millennium, meaning after the millennial period. So postmillennialists think that before Christ returns to earth in his what we call his second coming, the gospel will spread and will essentially triumph so that uh, so powerfully in the world, the gospel will triumph so much that societies will be transformed and peace and justice will reign on earth for a thousand years and Christ will return for the final judgment at the end of that thousand year period. Okay, so then there's another view on this, which is called uh, amillennialism. Now, amillennialism literally means non-millennialism, right? So this, the people who believe in amillennialism, they would say that the thousand years is not to be understood as a literal thousand-year period, um, but they would say it's symbolic, um, or they would just say, well, I mean, I guess they would say that, that it's symbolic, that thousand just means a really long time. Um, and so, so we could go uh, on and talking about that. Here's the the thing about postmillennialism, right? They they think this will be a a future golden age that is coming, but that Christ will not return until the end of that time. So, um, here's here's my issue with um, postmillennialism. The question is, has that time started already? So some people, like for example, Martin Luther. Um, who, who I actually greatly respect. Martin Luther believed that what was happening in his time was the millennial reign was beginning in 1518, right? When he nailed his 95 theses and all the things that were happening in the wake of that, he believed that what was going to happen was as he did that, it would usher in this reformation and that this reformation was a work of God that was going to usher in this thousand year reign of Christ. Now he didn't believe that reign to be a literal reign of Christ on earth. He believed it to be kind of like the reign of the gospel on earth and that um, it would culminate a thousand years later with the return of Jesus. And, and again, here's what that means. It means that he believed that Satan was being bound now, you can understand that when things started to happen and it was really exciting there in Germany during that time, it, it probably would have been easy to believe that, hey, maybe that's what this is, right? Satan is being bound. God is doing a work. The word of God is spreading. You know, the word of God that's been kept away from the people for a really long time is now beginning to spread throughout the world. And there are all these movements taking place, you know, whether it's in Geneva in Switzerland or whether it's up in the Netherlands or in, in other, like in Zurich with Zwingli and all these things. And so he was really excited thinking that that's what's going to happen. But guys, I'll just tell you this. I look around the world today and it's, it's uh, pretty difficult to say that Satan is bound right now. And in fact, I would say it's very clear that Satan is not bound right now, right? Evil exists in the world. Um, the Bible tells us really clearly that, um, that Satan is prowling around like a lion. And I don't believe that that has stopped. So um, that is mi my biggest issue with postmillennialism is that um, I, I get how they could say that this reign of Christ, you know, might not be 
literal. It might be like a reign of the gospel. The fact is, I just don't see it. And I don't believe that that's even going to be possible without Jesus actually returning here to the earth to uh, to rule and to reign and to uh, put an end to wickedness. So that's my take on those three views. Uh, I would be a premillennialist. I believe that it should be taken literally. I believe that um, Jesus is coming back and he will reign. And as Second Timothy says, we will reign along with him. And then at the end of that, uh, Satan will be judged and uh, we will have, you know, the new heavens and the new earth after judgment day. So that's a huge topic and there's certainly a lot that could be said on it both ways. Um, but that is my view on postmillennialism. I guess it basically just comes down to this simple fact. It does not appear by any means that Satan is currently bound. So it's hard to, uh, I think that's a huge jump to say we are in the millennial reign of Jesus here on earth um, just by the fact that we have Bibles printed in our language and the fact that the church is free in most of the world. So thanks for that question. It's a good one. And hopefully, um, you know, if there's any of you who are like, hey, I have a, a further question on that or that this didn't make sense or that didn't make sense. Or maybe you want to ask kind of a follow up question. I'd love to hear from you on that topic of kind of end times and how to interpret Revelation and the millennial kingdom and things like that. So give me a call. The number is 303 six nine zero three thousand that's three oh three six nine zero three thousand or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven the text line again is seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven looks like we've got all open lines right now so now would be a great time for you to call in with your questions about the bible or your prayer requests i'd love to answer them for you i'd love to pray f pray with you again my name is nick katie i'm the pastor of whitefields community church in longmont colorado Check us out. Maybe visit us uh, on a Sunday morning, 9 and 11 a.m. You can find more information at whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go to our next uh, prayer request. It's come in via text. This person says, My husband Andrew was recently diagnosed with arthritis in his back. He works manual labor, and it's been very hard on him. Please pray for healing and strength as he works to provide for us. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for Andrew, and thank you, Lord, for his family. Uh, thank you that he is, has a job and he's able to work. But Lord, our hearts go out to him as he has this arthritis in his back and making, making his life very difficult, making his work very painful. So Lord, we do ask in Jesus' name for healing and strength. Lord, we pray that you continue to provide for him. And Lord, we pray that he would be open to your leading. Maybe it's a different career. Lord, maybe it's just that you want to touch him and heal him. I don't know, but I, I know that you're good and I know that you love him. And Lord, I pray that you would provide for this dear family in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks for the, letting us know how to pray for Andrew. What a blessing to do that. And, you know, guys, if you're listening and you have a prayer request, I'd love to hear from you. We've got a ton of people listening in right now who can agree in prayer and say yes and amen as we lift up these needs to the Lord. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. It's 303 six nine zero three thousand or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven uh looks like we have a question that just was texted in someone asks how should christians think through how to choose among options in candidates policies and issues with the upcoming election and politics in general 
It's a great question. I know it's a, it's a really important question right now because we're entering into an election cycle that's, that's going to be ramping up big time over the next uh, less than two months now uh, until the election. These are always very divisive times in our society. Um, part of the reason for that is the way that our system is set up. And the way that our system is set up, of course, is that uh, both parties and both, you know, two-party system is that both parties are really working hard to show you um, who they are and differentiate themselves from the other party. And so they're going to uh, do everything they can to do that. But what happens is that in the wake of that, we can oftentimes find ourselves very polarized as a country and it takes time and maybe, maybe it never even fully recovers. And so I think the first thing I would tell you about how to think Christianly about politics is to remember that we are dual citizens. We are citizens of heaven and we are citizens of our earthly countries. But if we have to put one of those before the other, and I, I do believe that we do need to put one of those before the other, then we have to choose to put our heavenly citizenship first. And so what that means is that as as the people of God, you know, the Bible is very political. It's not a partisan politics, like in the way that we tend to think of it, but it is political. And here's why, because God asserts throughout the Bible that he is a king, that he is a ruler, that he has a kingdom, and that he wants those under his reign to obey his rule. And so we, we want to, you know, to say that Jesus is Lord is a political statement. It is to say that he has our um, he has our allegiance. He has our fidelity. We follow him above anybody else. And so um, that's really important to understand that. And Jesus kingdom, it has a culture right? it has a unique culture and it has values and it has issues that it cares about. He cares about the poor. He cares about the marginalized. He cares about the downtrodden. And we, sh we are to care about the things that God cares about. This is a big issue in the Old Testament, especially in the Minor Prophets, that uh, God cares about these issues, and he's upset when his people don't care about those issues. Particularly in the Old Testament, those issues included four groups, which are known in theological terminology as the quartet of the vulnerable the quartet of the vulnerable. And these were the four most vulnerable uh, areas of society at that time in history. And I think that we would, in our time in history, add to that number and we would, um, it, there would be different application. But here's what they were at the time that the Old Testament was written, kind of later in the Old Testament during the time of the prophets. Uh, they were the poor, they were widows, orphans, and immigrants. And so those four groups made the quartet of the vulnerable. And God said, you know, I want you to make sure that you take care of them. And so as this is the reason why churches historically have done this. Of course, in the New Testament book of James, we're told this as well, that religion that is pleasing to God is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and keep oneself unstained from the world. And those two things, right? Keeping oneself unstained from the world speaks about righteousness, but taking care of orphans and widows, that speaks of justice. And so as Christians, we're called to care about two things that God cares very much about, righteousness and justice. And one of the things that goes on in the political divide a lot of times is that, that um, certain groups will set themselves up as the, the party or the platform that cares about one of those issues more than the other, right? So one party or platform might say, we care about 
um, righteousness, right? Morality, right and wrong. And the other one might say, well, we care about doing justice and caring for the marginalized. And they'll set it up as if you have to choose between the two. But as the people of God, we don't fall ever rigidly into uh, the two-party system on one side or the other because we've got our own politic that we follow. We've got our own king. We've got our own culture. We've got our own issues. And so that's why it's very hard as a Christian to fall into you know, one candidate or one party on either side. So we want to care about both of those things at the same time. And so to answer this question, we're about to go to break right now. How do you choose? You choose wisely. You, you look at the different policies and you say, okay, how do these align with the things that God cares about, that he talks about in his word? And how do we love both justice and righteousness at the same time? That's not an easy thing to do, but God, we ask that God would help us in that process. Hey, we're going to our break right now. Give me a call. We'll get you on right after the break. 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, here today with you, taking your calls and texts live on the air. I'd love to hear from you. Give me a call. The number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. We've got a couple of open lines right now. And I'd love to hear from you with your questions about the Bible or with your prayer requests. That's what this show is all about. It's giving you the opportunity to ask those questions you've always wondered about. Or maybe in your uh, Bible study time, you've run into something that, and you're not sure how it works out or how it matches up. I'm here to answer those questions for you to the best of my ability. And uh, I'm also here to pray for you. So if you have a prayer request, we have a lot of people tuning in right now who are ready to say yes and amen and agree with us in prayer. And so we want you to call in and let us know how we can pray for you. You can also text in those prayer requests. So again, the number to call is 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Okay, we had a caller who asked not to be on the air. His name was Dwayne from Fort Lupton. Hey, Dwayne, thanks for uh, calling in. And I'd love to talk to you, but I'm Glad to answer your question as well. So here's what he asks: How do you appoint the issue? How, how do you approach the issue of appointing elders and deacons in your church specifically? And what do you think the roles of elders and deacons are more generally? That's a great question, and this is this falls in a category of what we call ecclesiology, which is the study of the church in the Bible and in you know, history and all of these things. So ecclesiology, how do we lead the church? And, um, you know, what's interesting is that there's a lot of different ways to do it. And that's why I think it's it's a good way you ask the question, how do we do it in our church specifically? Uh, there are a lot of good ways to do it within the parameters that the Bible gives us, because it doesn't give us like really specific parameters on how to do it. Now, the things that it does say are clear, and we adhere to those, of course. Um, so 
one of the things it tells us, like in First Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 2, is that we should appoint elders, and it talks to us about what those elders do, right? So the elders uh, teach, and the elders um, enact church discipline. They bear the responsibility of the church. The word deacon really in literally means servant. So a deacon is a servant. So here's how we approach these two things in our church. An elder, of course, speaks uh, not only of age, but also of responsibility. In the ancient world, they would have elders who would sit at, you know, kind of like what we call like a city council, right? And so um, that's the idea there is ruling elders, meaning people who are kind of bearing the responsibility for making decisions in the church and those kinds of things. So the way that we approach the issue of elders, we have a group of seven elders in our church. It's not because seven is a particularly special number, but we believe, you know, we want to have an odd number just so we can have votes that don't end in ties. And we want to have, um, we don't want to have too many or too little. It's, a, you know, at some times in our church, we've had as little as five. Uh, we've had as many as Seven, I think, is the most. So we've always kind of kept it around there. There's no, again, direction in the Bible saying how many you can have or how many you should have. We've always kept it around that number because we felt that it was, it was uh, manageable and yet provided a good number of voices and accountability. And so we approach eldership in this way that every elder is called to be a shepherd. Right? You're an overseer for the church. And so our elders in our church are not uh, just board members, although our board, so we have a legal board, which is a state requirement here in Colorado and, and also in the United States. Uh, so we have a legal board. They're fiduciaries. And, and the way it works is that our legal board and our elders are one in the same. And so we, we have those together. And the reason is we do that. Now, not everybody does that, but, but a lot of people do that this way. And we do it this way because we want the people making the, you know, big financial decisions, big directional decisions for the church. We want those people to be invested in serving in and leading in the church. And so our elders are overseers. That means that they have spiritual role. They uh, function as shepherds, you know. Uh, there's no distinction in the Bible between a pastor and an elder, except that in their function. So an elder oversees, but an elder also shepherds. And so while we don't give the term pastor to our elders, um, except for myself and, of course, our worship pastor here at, um, at Whitefields, the elders do have that role. They're pastoral in nature. They uh, pray for people. We care about the church. We pray together regularly and then we also make decisions so recently we made some big financial decisions when we moved into this building and that was done as elders now the way our uh, bylaws are set up is that we, our elders need to have a simple majority right so we have seven so four need to agree in order for something to be passed in the history of our church we've always uh, endeavored to have a hundred percent agreement on everything before we move forward and so far, by the grace of God, that's been that's been the case. Um, as far as deacons, we don't have an official designation for deacon in the church. Um, and the reason is because in the Bible, again, that's just the word. If you were reading in Greek, it's the word servant, right? Somebody who is serving in the church. And so we have a lot of people who serve in different areas, and we have a structure for that. So we, we call them probably what a lot of people think of as deacons. We call ministry leaders. And so in our church, I believe we have like 17 different distinct ministries and those all have 
uh, unique ministry leader over them and then they lead under them some of them lead team leaders and they'll lead individual volunteers and we would consider every person who serves not just a volunteer we consider them a servant and we encourage them that they aren't only serving the body of christ but they are serving uh, the lord jesus as they do that um, that ministry so Dwayne, i hope that answers your question about how we do it here specifically at our church uh, if there's any follow-up questions i'd love to answer those as well let me give you the number to call in for those of you who have just tuned in recently the number is 303-690-3000 that's 303-690-3000 or you can text us at 720-336-0897 that's 720-336-0897 Okay, it looks like we do have one follow-up question to that uh, discussion of elders and deacons. Here's the question. How do you feel about people who volunteer themselves or campaign for leadership in a ministry position? Uh, should they just trust the Lord? Or should they bring up the fact that they've had leadership or ministry experience in other churches in the past? Uh, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, expressing that you you have experience leading in in a church in the past um i think there's nothing wrong with that i do i would say this as a leader i've noticed a tendency is that some people who really want to lead it's more of an identity issue for them that they feel like um you know they want to lead for the sake of leading but they aren't necessarily called or gifted to lead and then a lot of times what I've noticed is that people who don't volunteer themselves, don't push themselves forward, um, there will be some people out there who are really gifted and who would be great leaders and humble leaders, but they don't push themselves forward. And for that reason, they don't, uh, you know, they don't get asked because they're not putting themselves out there. And, and you know, I, I, I this, I've just seen this over and over and over. Uh, I think actually the best leaders are the ones who don't necessarily think of themselves as leaders. I think that sometimes people get it in their head that, um, you know, they build this up, this thing up in themselves that I'm a leader. I think one of the best uh, examples of this is with David, King David and King Saul. So the first and second kings of Israel. King Saul, you know, was really the 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 leader that everybody wanted in a sense right like if you could imagine a leader who would you imagine him to be oh we'd imagine him to be tall and handsome we'd imagine him to be assertive and you know the kind of person who walks in the room and everybody turns and says that guy is a leader that's who Saul was and uh, it says that he stood ahead above everybody else he was very good looking and he was that type of guy, very assertive, very confident. And what happened over the time of Saul's leadership is that his, his identity as a leader really went to his head. He got to this point where he dismissed what God said and did what he wanted to do as a leader instead. And so, uh, and for that reason, God said, I'm removing you, Saul. You're no longer qualified to be a leader in my kingdom because, Saul, you don't care what I think what I say, and you're not submitted to me. You're doing your own thing. And so God said, Saul, I'm going to remove you. And when that happened, Saul absolutely freaked out. He could not handle the idea of going back to life, not as a leader, 
right? If you would have asked Saul, who are you? He would have stuck out his chest and said, I am the king of Israel. The problem is that when that's your identity, to have that taken away from you will absolutely destroy you because you have nothing left. And I think that's very applicable for many of us, right? I, I would ask you, what is your identity founded upon? Are you, uh, you know, some people, if you ask them, who are you? you? You'll learn a lot about where they find their value and their identity, right? They might tell you, I'm a, I'm a mom, right? That's their identity. But the problem is, if that would ever be taken away from them, they would not know who they are. They would be absolutely crushed and destroyed. They might feel like they have no purpose or reason for going on because that is who they are, and now it's been taken away from them. So, you know, you could think of many examples. Somebody might say, I'm an athlete. Okay, but what if, and this will happen, right? Later on, your body is going to break down. You'll no longer be an athlete. What are you going to be then? And, and, you know, you could go on, I'm successful. I'm intelligent. I'm this. I'm that. Whatever we build our identity upon, if we build it upon something that we can lose, something that's a stage in life or something um, that can be taken away from us, uh, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. But here's what's so interesting about David. It says that David, he was a guy that other people overlooked. It says that he was ruddy, which probably means that he had like uh, red hair. He was a ginger and he had freckles. And apparently he wasn't like a very large person. We know that because, right, they try to put Saul's armor on him. It's just hanging all over the place. So he's not big like Saul. He's uh, got red hair and freckles. And he's not the kind of guy who walks into a room and everybody turns and says, hey, that guy is a leader. And so God says, yeah, but look, you guys look at the outward things. I look at the heart. And so God says, here's what I love about David. He's a man after my own heart. And here's what we see about David is that David, if you were to ask him at any point in his life, who are you, David? David's answer would have been, I am I'm God's man. I'm a child of God. You know, I'm a whether and, and I'll do whatever God wants me to do. If God wants me to be a shepherd, then I'll be a shepherd unto the Lord. If God wants me to be um, a soldier, I'll be a soldier unto the Lord. If God wants me to be a musician, I'll be a musician unto the Lord. If God wants me to be king, I can do that too. And there was a time in David's life where his son Absalom tried to take his kingdom away from him to uh, basically kick him out and take over, right, and do a coup. And David prays to the Lord during that time and says, God, if you want to give the kingdom to my son, okay. Right? In other words, David reacted completely differently than Saul reacted at the prospect of losing the kingdom. Why? Because his identity was not built on who he was as a king. His identity was built on who he was in the Lord. And that made all the difference. And so this is just one of the things that I, I've always noticed in leadership is that oftentimes the, the best leaders don't have this identity of themselves as leaders, and that's probably what makes them good leaders. The other thing I've noticed about good leaders is that good leaders, truly good leaders, are also good followers. So if I meet somebody who's not a good follower, I know they're probably not a good leader. And if they say, well, I just struggle with following people because I'm a leader type. I would say, well, I don't actually think you're ready to be a leader because to be a leader, you have to know how to follow well. And actually, you can see this with Jesus. And there's a conversation Jesus had with the centurion. The centurion comes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I can relate to you because like you, I am a man who has authority and I am also under authority. And isn't that true of Jesus, right? So he had all the authority in heaven on earth given to him, and yet he was under the authority of the Father. He submitted himself. And in the same way, that, that's 
uh, who we are as leaders, right? We're submitted to the Lord. We're submitted to those that God has put over us. And it's only when we understand that, when we can be good followers of God and of those God has put us under the charge of, that we can actually be good leaders in other parts of our lives as well. So it, it is a, it's a bit of a red flag if somebody comes up and says, hey, I'm a leader and I want to lead. Um, but I wouldn't say that that means that they can't be in leadership. You know, if they, you know, let's say they moved to town, they used to be a leader in their other church, they want to get involved. Um, they might be a great leader and they just want to share that. But generally, I'm, I'm looking for humble people who want to serve. You know, that's the real chest of, of leadership. I mentioned earlier that in our church, our elders, they all serve. They're all very involved. And for us, that's one of the unwritten rules of what it means to be an elder in our church. It means that you lead a ministry and you, you serve. And that's, that's what leaders do. Leaders serve others. Rather than uh, standing on top of others uh, as a platform, what we do is we get underneath others so that we can lift them up. Uh, leadership isn't about glamour or fame. Leadership is about elevating others in Jesus Christ. So great questions. Of course, I could talk so much about that. Uh, I love the topic. But let's move on to our text message. Before we do that, let me give you the numbers to call for um, for you guys. If the, We've probably got time for one or two more phone calls before the end of the show. Again, this is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. So here's the numbers to call. 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 to call in. Or you can text us at 720 336 0897 that's 720 for the text line okay we have a text question that asks why do you believe in god hey great question um, i'd love to answer that here's a few answers and i'll try and make this brief why do i believe in god number one i believe in god because of what i see in nature i see a system that could not have come about on its own it couldn't have come about and developed over time. It had to come about suddenly, and it had to come about uh, in all the different things for life, human beings, the animal world, the, the entire system of the world. It's not something that could have developed. This is something that uh, had to come into being in a moment. And um, the system of this world, the way that it is kept together, tells me that there must be an intelligent designer. So that's that's the first part. And following on that, I follow through that, you know, kind of a logical sequence of, of thoughts. It says, if there is an intelligent designer who's smart enough to make the world and to keep the world going, then would that designer also be capable of communicating to people? Would he want to communicate to people? And I think the answer to that is yes on both accounts. So if he did, would he be able to make himself known in a way that could even preserve his communication so that it wouldn't be adulterated or changed over time? I think, again, the answer is yes. And, and the biggest thing, though, for me, that, that's just kind of why I believe that God exists. I think beyond that, let's also say that there's something built into the psyche of every human being that knows this, that knows that this life is short, that one day I'm going to die, that knows that there's right and wrong, and says, I have not always done what is right, and I'm going to have to answer for that. Even if I don't pay here on earth, I might be rich and powerful, and I can you know, get away with anything I want, but everybody knows in their heart of hearts that there is a God that they will have to answer to. There is a higher power. Now, why do I believe in 
this God. Let's put that that way. Why do I believe in the God of the Bible? Why do I believe in Jesus Christ? And the answer is that if you look at the life of Jesus and you look at the Bible, the Bible is just a miraculous book. The, the details of how it came into being, 66 books written over the course of 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, many of whom never met each other. And yet there is a symmetry. It's like all of these people were were making something and then it all comes together it makes a whole it tells one story that is absolutely miraculous and then the fact that this story talks about a savior who is to come who is going to do these things all the prophecies that were fulfilled that shows me that this is truly inspired by god the other thing is that the life of jesus the accomplishments of jesus his life death and primarily his resurrection and the fact that his body has never been found um, these things all lead me to believe that not only does God exist, but Jesus is absolutely who he said he was. God in the flesh come to save us and rescue us uh, through his life, death, and resurrection. So, uh, thank you for that question. And I hope that you too will believe in God, and not just God specifically, but that you will believe in, or God in general, sorry, let me change that. Not just God in general, but that you will believe in God, uh, Jesus Christ specifically. So God bless you. Hey, let's go to another text question that's come in. And uh, this person says, is it a red flag for pastors to call themselves public figures? Well, it could be, but I think that gets to an issue of motivation. Why are they calling themselves a public figure? On the one hand, though, I think it's really important for uh, pastors to actually at least think of themselves as public figures. And the reason I think that is be going back to, um, let's say, 1 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about how important it is for elders to live in a way that is above reproach. And the reason why is because it says that he is, yeah, here's why. Verse 7, he must be thought well of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. And then in 1 Peter, it says that um, we should take care because we do not want to bring derision upon the church of God. And so for that reason, I do think that pastors should think of themselves as public figures in the sense of nothing they do is private, right? In their neighborhood, the way that they you know, talk to their kids out in the yard, their neighbors are watching. And this is true of all Christians, right? That if your neighbors know that you're a Christian, they're going to view you through that lens for better or for worse. But it's especially true for leaders. And I think that leaders need to live up to that higher standard because they uh, are living as representatives of the church of God. And that is a high and holy calling. Uh, now, if you if you're considering yourself a public figure because you know you want to be famous, I think that's a that's a whole different issue, and probably again that's an issue of the heart. It's really hard for me to judge another pastor's heart, um, but yeah. So the answer is is why do you consider yourself a public figure, and what does that mean to you, and and so thanks for that question. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church taking your 
calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000, or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We've probably got time for one more call if there's any of you. I see a lot of you guys texting in, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear your voices, guys, on the air. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. One person texts in and asks, uh, should, you know, would you take the title Bishop Nick Cady or Apostle Nick Cady? The answer to that is no, I wouldn't. And the reason is because am I a bishop? Well, the word bishop from um, the Greek episkopos, um, I think it applies. That's an elder or an overseer in the church. Um, However, I think that that word carries with it a lot of um, baggage and connotations that I just think are not helpful, right? And that's the way language works uh, in this case is when giving titles nowadays in our common vernacular English, um, words are helpful until they're not. And so uh, I think that would communicate the wrong thing. Apostle, apostle literally means one who is sent. Does that apply again? Well, I think that applies to every Christian. Honestly, I think it also applies to some Christians more specifically. You think about missionaries or people who are sent on a mission. Um, Every Christian has been sent on the mission of God by Jesus. You can read about that in John chapter 17. Jesus says, just as the father called me, now I also send you. So we've all been sent, but I don't know if we want to take on ourselves the title of apostle. But let's put it this way. Also a huge red flag whenever anybody starts giving themselves titles, right? Like, so whenever anybody starts appointing themselves to something, um, that is another red flag in leadership. Okay, let's go to our next caller, John in Colorado Springs. Hi, John. Welcome to the program. Hey, John, you're on the air. Oh, John, you might be cutting out. Let's try this one last time. My question. My oh, question uh, is on uh, Psalms 22. Um, how did David see everything that uh, the um, basically of, of um, Jesus' crucifixion? Yeah, yeah, great question. How how was David able to see and and know these things? Now, let me just tell our listeners real quick, and we are running out of time, so I'll be fast. Uh, Psalm 22, David. Uh, Psalm 22 is quoted by Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you go through here, it's it's almost a perfect description of what crucifixion was like. You know, he says, I'm poured out like water. My bones are pulled out of the joints. My heart is like wax. My strength is dried up. My tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. And he's describing these things, which a lot of people look at and they say, wow, that's very descriptive of crucifixion. And the fact that Jesus mentions it as he's being crucified is a pretty big deal, which means how did David, and this is exactly your question, how did David know that? And here's why it's so incredible. Crucifixion was invented by the Romans. And that means that, you know, the Romans didn't come about till uh, several hundred years. I'm going to say almost 700 years after David wrote this psalm. So David's writing about something that didn't even exist at that time. How did he know that? And the simple answer is this. It says he was given these words by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, 
inspired these words. We know that from the New Testament we're told over and over that scripture is inspired right. by God and is profitable for us. But this is a perfect example. I kind of mentioned this earlier in the show that the Bible is so incredible and miraculous that it's one of the reasons why we believe in God. Right. So, yeah, just a miraculous thing that, that David, I, I, I'm guessing that God probably also gave him a vision of this. Now, of course, I'm just I'm just uh, guessing at this point. We can be sure that he gave him the words. I would guess that he's describing something that God gave him a vision of. But um, it is, you know, one of those signs that the word has been truly inspired by God. Yeah, that was awesome because uh, my my niece had uh, had uh, told me about it, and I was like, "Really? Where at?" And so I read it, and I was like, "I've never read that before." And I, yeah, so I just uh, was uh, clinging to that all day in my mind, and I was like, "Well, I know who." would know for sure and who would give me a great answer is Pastor Nick. Oh, I appreciate that, John. That's kind of you. All right. Well, God bless you, John. Thanks for calling in. God bless you, Pastor. Have a great weekend. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. We've got about 90 seconds left in the show. I've got one question here that I'm going to go ahead and answer before the end of the show, and that's this. Someone asks, Hi, is there anything in the Bible that speaks against cremation and scattering ashes when a loved one dies versus a full-body burial? Um, please address scattering ashes as well. Thank you. So my answer to that will be really brief. Uh, I don't believe there's anything in the Bible that speaks against it. One of the arguments against... Um, scattering ashes and cremation in the past from certain church groups was that then you couldn't be um, resurrected in the end, the resurrection of all things. But that doesn't even really make any sense from a biological standpoint. We remember that eventually bodies do decompose. You know, even the Bible says that we've come from dust and to dust we will return. And so if God can re resurrect uh, bodies that have decomposed, I believe he can absolutely resurrect cremated bodies as well. So it's not a form of desecration, and I don't think there's anything to worry about in that regard. So, uh, hey, thanks for the question. And everyone out there listening, this has been Calvary Live. God bless you guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love to have you join us this Sunday at the church I pastor, Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Check us out for directions and everything else at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And I hope you have a great evening. God bless you and have a good weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.